And next to that, e-waste contains, well, the entire periodic table, and often also in very low concentration. Welcome to the Knowledge Archives podcast. We're a group of students on a mission to learn from as many different disciplines of knowledge as possible. I'm your host, Madhav Malhotra, and today I'm glad to be joined by Dr. Kays Balde, Senior Program Officer at the Sustainable Cycles Program at the United Nations University. Dr. Balde studies a growing problem with e-waste, collecting statistics on the issue for almost 10 years. Today, we talk about what makes this problem hard to solve and how it's affected us in the past and will continue to do so in the future. Thank you again so much for taking the time to join me today. I'm really excited to dive into some of the nuanced details behind this growing problem. And I know we're going to talk all about the technical details afterwards, but I'd just love to hear, you know, about yourself first, a little bit of who you are, what you're working on, and how you got started in this area. Yeah, thanks a lot. And it's also my pleasure to be part of this podcast. So my name is Case Balde, and um, I'm currently working with the UN University for like five to seven years. I'm trained as a, as a, as a chemist in the, in the beginning. And after my like research in chemistry, which focused on storage of hydrogen, also a very good subject, by the way, I decided to also do more for society and I, well, society and data, basically. And I joined the National Statistical Office of the, of the Netherlands, where I had a keen interest in developing like really cool data sets on emerging problems. So, so the subject of, of, of e-waste back then really struck me. It was, it was about like a decade ago. And also the fact that so little was known about that particular waste stream, although it is a lot of problems were involved uh, with it back then. So I decided that it would be great if we would get a bit more facts into the debate. And that's how I got started on this. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> you know, all around good person trying to make a change in the world. It's a good introduction. And since that decade, the UN University has put up a lot of great work on this area. I specifically was reading a recent report of yours uh, from 2020. And I'll just, you know, summarize a few quick stats for anyone who hasn't read it. There were 53.6 million tons of e-waste in 2019, which is the weight of 150 Empire State buildings. So that is a lot of waste. And only 17% of that was formally recycled. But of course, that varies, you know, it might be 1% in Africa and 42% in Europe. And this is a really huge, you know, growing problem. There was like a increase of 9.2 million tons in e-waste between 2014 and 2019. That's 25 Empire State buildings. So that's like, you know, quite a few blocks of New York, suddenly that we have of e-waste. And this like stat boggles my mind. We are expected to have over 75 million tons by 2030. So quite a lot of growth very rapidly. So it's like a huge problem. Yes, of course. And I think it's a very difficult waste stream to manage. And I think the reason why it's so difficult, it's because it's partly toxic because there are hazardous materials inside of this e-waste. And it's, it's not only toxic waste, eh? you know, like components are toxic, but also some other components are valuable. 
And this mixture, it makes it extremely difficult to manage. Because basically, you just make more money if you are focusing only on the, on the valuable parts and discarding the hazardous parts into the environment or just burning them into the open air, which is like not a good practice at all. In short, it costs money to properly collect and to recycle it. Although you can also make money with certain components, but if you want to manage the entire waste stream, you also have to set aside some money for this. Yeah, this seems like a really difficult problem to deal with. Could you talk about current approaches to try and fix this and why those current e-waste recycling schemes, they're not good enough? You know, countries have started to develop legislation. And typically what countries are having is that they make the producers responsible to collect and to process this e-waste. So the producers are basically paying for the collection and for the e-waste management. So this sounds all great because the producers are putting the stuff in our homes and we are using it and also the producers are taking care of it. However, it doesn't work like that so easily uh, because well, the producers and these uh, schemes that they are setting up in order to collect all of this e-waste, well, they are not collecting all of this all of this e-waste. A lot of e-waste is it's not ending up at the right place, and it is being either uh, being diluted with other types of of waste. Uh, maybe some valuable components are extracted, but then it is not properly managed how it should be managed. That's one side of the story. Also, consumers are sometimes they don't know what what to do. You know, some people then think, well, I have an old fridge and I put it on the street and then uh, someone will take it. Well, it's not my problem. What will happen with your fridge if you leave it on the street is that, you know, someone will take off some valuable components. All the hazardous substances are in a copper pot at the back of your fridge. And then the freon and so it is sort of gases which are contributing to either global warming or to the destruction of the ozone layer are emitted into the air and then the person just has like ten dollars or uh, or ten euros worth of copper but then the equivalent of 1500 kilometers driving of a car is being evaporated into the air this is of course another good practice and then the rest of the fridge is basically worthless it goes either into a landfill because it's worthless or it's being collected by the municipality and then it is somehow recycled but then of course the, the recycler makes less money with this because well the valuable stuff and the most hazardous stuff has been scavenged off. So that's one example. But that but this is already happening in countries where there are schemes in place in order to collect and to recycle e-waste. There are also many countries where this legislation and the infrastructure in order to collect this waste is not even in place yet. And if you don't have the well the infrastructure in place, then only scavenging of these valuable components will happen. And it, and it depends on the country, like where you are, how bad it is for the environment. And in developed countries, like such as Canada or, uh, or the USA, it could be managed, although also a lot of stuff is still ending up in landfills in those, in those countries. However, if we go to Latin America or to Africa, or parts uh, of Southeast Asia, there are many people in the, in the informal sector who are making a living out of waste. I wouldn't even call it management because it's basically with you know very simple techniques. They are taking off some of the valuable components, so they are smashing 
well, the lead containing screens from the from the big CRTs that we all had, and they are smashing it with you know uh, with hammers and taking off you know some of the valuable materials, and then all the dust they just inhale it, and it goes into the environment. And a lot of research has actually shown that these people who are working on these sites are really poisoning themselves and also poisoning slowly the communities where they are living in. So. The toxic substances are found in, you know, mother's milk and also causing already damage to the fetus. And to date, only 17% of e-waste <laughs> is managed in a correct way. Wow. So what are some solutions that we have? And is there some way that these solutions, you know, still need to get better? So what we need to do is to, first of all, ensure that, you know, more collection Play, uh, like systems are being set up in countries. And even if they have these in place, that these are, are collecting more e-waste. And I think that, that there is one solution out there. You know, basically, you just have to pay more, more money for your e-waste because it's always easier to just and cheaper to dispose it of in some other way. And, uh, and I think while well, the producers and also recyclers, they also need to do more effort in order to get more e-waste into the uh, into the right uh, places where it should be going to. Although this is extremely complex. And the reason why it is so complex, it's because of, of a few reasons. You already mentioned that the amount of e-waste is rapidly growing. And it will also grow like rapidly in, in the future. And the reason is that we, we all need this material. We also need it in order to improve the quality of our lives. Well, some stuff we don't need. We might not need five laptops in the end of the day. We all need one or two, like one laptop per person nowadays and for phones as well, because it is improving the quality of our lives. And there are many people in the world that don't have these things yet. And, and the first like laptop you buy or the first like washing machine, it will improve your quality of life. So I'm sure that at some point when people are getting richer, they are going to buy these goods. So with development, we will get more consumption. And with more consumption, you get more waste because... Well, the lifespans are not like eternal and these goods are not designed in order to last. So after some years, you can maybe repair it, but it becomes waste. So the amount of e-waste is growing rapidly. It's growing so rapidly that even the current rate with which we are like collecting and recycling is lower than the growth of the e-waste mountain. And secondly, also countries and the producers also are not sufficiently taking measures in order to ensure that all of this e-waste is ending up uh, at the right places. And the third element is that a country is not a confined area. We have open borders nowadays. And many countries, like particularly in the, uh, in the global north, are so rich that, you know, yeah, well, we are buying and we don't like the color, but the but the product itself is still good. So it still has a value. And then it also, it makes no sense to throw it to waste because it's still functioning. And of course, well, the entrepreneurs in the world, well, they see this, hey, you know, that fridge might still work. So if I would waste it, I will earn, let's say like, like $20. However, if I can sell it, I'm making $150. So that's profit. So over the years, like a new market has been found in Latin America, in Africa, in Southeast Asia for secondhand goods, you know, coming from the, from the global north. This is not per se bad. Uh, you, well, you could argue this because on one way, well, the lifespan of our products 
it gets longer hey, because someone else is you know using this. Although at some point it will become waste. And if it becomes waste, it is ending up in a country where there is no infrastructure at all to manage it. Whereas in Canada and in the USA and in, in Europe, there is, it becomes shady. But it becomes even more shady that well, the exporting countries are not only exporting secondhand goods. There's also a, like a lot of waste mixed with this. And, and the reason for that is that they just think, well, I have collected this. I just put it on the truck and there is some money and they will sort it out later. Uh, if, it, if it can be sold, maybe yes and maybe no. So a lot of these secondhand goods is actually waste upon arrival. So it goes straight into the dumps there. That's a very eye-opening statement, you know, to think about all the things that we put in the recycling bin, how they might just end up around the world and maybe someone else is, you know, using them for years after we're done with our devices. Um, and due to this fact, there's also like a lively trade while the, while the richer countries in the world and the poorer countries which is actually like against all the international laws that we that we have in the world because it is forbidden for to dump our toxic waste because it is hazardous waste, this e-waste in developing countries. And also because of this, this dumping of of e-waste, it is still happening at a global scale. So this is well the complexity involved, why we are currently only stuck with 17% collection rate of our e-waste. The theme that I want to dive deeper into here, so you talked about you know, how big the supply chain is. We might be buying a phone or a laptop in the US and it might be dealt with with a local municipal recycling facility, but that might be then shipped off to say India or Pakistan or any other number of developed countries around the world. Are there any parts of the supply chain that are, say, more tractable or more feasible for us to, you know, make a change in? Yeah, I, I think that the municipalities, basically, like which are collecting this, 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 this waste from the, uh, from the consumers are very important in this, uh, in this way. So they should make it as easy as possible in order to collect it. So it could be uh, pick up from the from the from the homes or you know drop off by the consumers at waste disposal stations or maybe also some waste disposals at supermarkets because most of the people are still going to like supermarkets even in covid times and uh, if you have some small appliances uh, an old phone or your old mouse then you can just like ring it there and it's being collected and then if it is at the municipality, then uh, you need to ensure that the persons there are not selling it off in a fraudulent way to someone else eh? because they could still also make money with that. Although if you can have at least some level of control, it's with those you can enforce that, that you know, they are making contracts with the right recyclers. And, and the recyclers, I think they should be part of a certification scheme. So like a certification scheme, which are auditing them and also ensuring that, that they are not starting to sell part of the e-waste uh, as a secondhand product in Africa. And there has been some a really great research out from the Basel Action Network, which have placed you know, tracers 
in broken appliances. And then also, and they end with these traces, well, they could map where these appliances are going to. Of course, you can't make statistics on this. However, it, like a very significant share, is actually still ending up somewhere where it should not be ending up. And some of these recyclers were also certified by some certification schemes that should not be doing this. And then still, if they can make money with it, they might still do it. And so I think also the chances that you get caught in the end of the day are very are very marginal. And it pays off to just make a bit more money with that. That makes it also more complicated. But I still believe that this is at least the part of the supply chain that you can manage, which is basically through certification schemes and through the municipalities. All the other ways, it's even more, well, the Wild West. Yeah, it makes sense that it's more feasible to make the controls there. So a second related-ish question, what do you think are the most neglected opportunities that we have in fixing e-waste, whether or not they're feasible or not? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. I think one of the, of the blind spots that we are currently having, in particular in developing countries, that a lot of people are already collecting these materials, maybe uh, what well, they don't have the right means yet in order to do the right things with it. And I think we should involve them by also building in well, the right sort of incentives to ensure that they can make a better living by doing a better job in the recycling business. And still their wage is it's a lot lower than someone in the developed world. So perhaps, you know, we could also build some, you know, financial structures that, you know, they can earn, earn more money by actually better dismantling of certain components, ensuring that they are also well dismantling the hazardous stuff in a proper way. So it's not like emitted into the air or into the soil, but they are also captivating it in a place so that a certified recycler well, can treat this as hazardous waste. And this person is actually getting paid for that, you know, and is not seeing this a- as a problem. No, this for him is like, hey, of course I need to contain it in this in this thing because then I'm getting money for it. And I think that this is the, well, the biggest missed opportunity out there because, you know, these people there, they are poor. They will do anything well to survive. And if we don't involve them in the solution, they will be always cheaper than any other system out there. And we're also potentially taking away their jobs. Well, they're not decent jobs at this stage, but still. So I think that they are our biggest opportunity. Yeah. Are there any examples of initiatives, companies, anything that are working with informal e-waste recyclers in developing countries? Yes, there are. And I think a lot of the new legislation is actually also looking into this. I think in Ghana, in in Nigeria and in India, uh, well, they are working on on this. Uh, Although it's too early to say uh, whether the standard of, of recycling is significantly improving due to these measures. There are some novel sort of initiatives out there. There are some companies out there which would like to say, well, I am waste-free. And then they could also, well, then compensate the waste they also generate by collecting this e-waste in the developing countries. And there are some startup companies who are actually doing that. Although I think with these things, you also have the the problem that you need to be sure that, that, you know, all of this is done in a transparent way. And I think it's, it is a nice solution in the meantime, in order to get some money into the system. 
Although I think for the longer term, also more structural solutions are needed. That makes sense. And my last question for the day, when you were talking, like I can tell, but drawing some parallels between e-waste and plastic waste. Do you think there are any things about e-waste that make it either a easier or harder problem to solve than these other circular economy issues? A very good question. Well, I think having a true circular economy for e-waste, although it's also hard for you know plastics, by the way, because of the quality of the plastics, it will be hardly the same unless we go for chemical recycling or something like that. But I think for some components within e-waste, circular solutions do already like exist. We can refurbish laptops. We can recycle the gold in the printed circuit boards. However, certain trends are making it more and more difficult. We are starting to manufacture cheaper and cheaper, which also means that the quality of the recyclates are at risk. So a printed circuit board, it contains three times more gold a decade ago than it currently does. So it becomes also more difficult to take it out. And next to that, e-waste contains, well, the entire periodic table and often also in very low concentrations. And that makes it very difficult to get all these substances back as, you know, secondary uh, raw materials if the concentration is, uh, is, you know, marginal. And it's sometimes it's even mixed with other metals and they make such like strong bonds that it's almost impossible to take it out in a decent way if you are able to, to separate it. So these things make it, you know, very complex uh, because it's designed in a much more complex way uh, well, than, you know, plastic. And secondly, it's more complex because it is a lot more hazardous in the end of the day. I think packaging waste, it is a big problem, but packaging waste is not hazardous waste. You know what I mean? And, and all the plastics in, in e-waste, for instance, like most of them, well, they contain uh, flame retardants because it has to be safe. So you don't even want to recycle them because you don't want these, you know, toxic flame retardants in your plastic bag, <laughs> you know. So it is on one hand easier. For some metals, it is easier. And for the other, like materials, I think it's more complicated. Yeah, that's a great nuanced answer. And in general, I really appreciate you guiding us throughout all of these complicated areas of e-waste so concisely. So... Thank you for making the time to share about it with us today. It was my pleasure.